This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Puckcast with Statsman and AJ, Rotowire's hockey podcast show. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno. You can follow me at Statsman22. My partner on these pods, as always, is AJ Scholes. You can follow him at AJ Scholes24. That's AJSCHOLZ24. Well, the first round of the postseason is over, and only one of us in studio today is happy with that outcome. My team lost, his team won. They were both tense series, though. Uh, the, the rivalry that the Flyers and the Pens have is one to really behold. I, I love watching teams that are that intense with one another. And the thing with the Leafs and Boston is almost getting there too. But the Bruins size uh, was ultimately a big difference maker there. We're going to break down all eight of the first round series and take a look ahead to the second round on this show. But uh, really good hockey in the first round as always, AJ. And uh, that's the overriding sentiment that I come away with when I look at the whole package of games and whole package of series. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's it's been fun to to watch, um, you know, pretty much all the series. Even, you know, even the the couple of sweeps were were interesting in their own their own right. As you said, we'll talk about those a little bit later. So, um, but yeah, a, a lot of fun hockey, a lot of exciting hockey, plenty of overtime games as well to add a little bit of an extra thrill. So it's, it, it really was a great first round. Um, hoping for more here in the second. Uh, but before we kick off the rest of the show, just remind our listeners that throughout the week, if you do have questions uh, about your lineups, you know, at this point, it's probably mostly daily lineups, but we're happy to answer those questions as well. Uh, fantasy hockey for season long guys. If you're looking at what guys to keep, who to ditch for next year, uh, or if you just have general hockey questions, uh, we're happy uh, to answer those uh, throughout the week. Just tweet at us. As Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJ Scholes 24 and you can follow Paul, the stats man at Statsman22. All right, let's go through each of those eight series in the opening rounds. We'll begin with the uh, Central Division, AJ. And uh, the first series I want to talk about is Nashville versus Colorado. Uh, of course, reg- the regular season, Nashville swept these guys 3 nothing, And they had fairly a fairly easy time, I'll say, taking this in five games. There was a point in time where it looked like Colorado might threaten but uh, in the end, Nashville rolled the four lines and the three sets of defensemen, and their top goalie was pretty good, too. 
Yeah, I mean, this is really a, a pretty unstoppable team right now. Um, the second round matchup is going to be really exciting. Colorado, I think, was the surprise of the season. Uh, based on what they did last year, they were really, really bad, to be blunt about it. Um, and they had a great season. Uh, Jared Bednar is nominated for the uh, the Jack Adams Award uh, for the job he did. And so I, I think there's nothing uh, bad to look at for Colorado, um, just simply not up to the same class as Nashville. And that's that's really nothing against Colorado. Uh, Nashville's just heads and tails ahead of a lot of the ro- rest of the league, uh, especially in the Western Conference here. So and it's, expected outcome, right? Yeah, it is. And you look at the guys that were the leading scorers for Nashville, and that should scare the rest of the league when you think of Austin Matthews and Austin Watson, Austin Matthews, Austin Watson, and uh, Colton Sissons being their leading point getters with seven apiece. Those aren't their frontline players. A guy like Ryan Johansson, he had a five-point series. Even your old pal Nick Bonino had five points. So they had no fewer than six guys that produced at least five points in that series. And so good on them for spreading it out. And, of course, the defensemen, they did their thing too. And in goal, like I said, Pekka uh, shut the door when he needed to. Uh, goals against was a little bit higher than you'd like to see for him. He'll have to batten down the hatches a little bit in the na- next round, but a 260 goals against, pretty pretty solid numbers there. In terms of Colorado, well, you know what? Uh, they have a lot to be proud of. They did turn around their season, AJ. Uh, go, uh, Gabriel Landeskog, Nate McKinnon, they led the parade in terms of scoring seven and six points respectively. And uh, really, they have something to hang their hat on in terms of going forward next season. The goaltending situation was a bit in a bit of a state of flux. And uh, they survived uh, this long just uh, based on the fact that Bernier and Hammond, Hammond performed well, but uh, they did manage to steal a couple of games offensively. And that that's really why it extended as long as it did. So good on Colorado for making it to the postseason, but they were in against a juggernaut, and uh, in the end, no surprise. In the second series, it's Winnipeg and Minnesota. Look at Winnipeg now is the only Canadian team left, and uh, I'll get behind them too. This is a big, strong team, and they went against a top-checking top outfit in Minnesota. It was an intriguing series, but in the end, no surprise to either one of us. We had this both pegged in five games and that's exactly how it turned out so uh no surprise at this in this corner i don't think that you will be surprised either what caught your eye in this series though i think what probably stuck stood out the most to me is the the fact that uh the jets really didn't have to rely on a lot of offense to get this series through uh you look at their top point getters in mark shifley and dustin bufflin they had just five uh you compare that to some of the other uh teams you know crosby up around 13 kucherov up at 10 Marshawn at nine uh so you you really did not see uh, a lot of uh, offense here from from the Jets, and they really didn't need it. Uh, their goals against average for the series was 1.8 behind Connor Hellubuck, who uh, really stepped up, had a great uh, first round here. And uh, I think, at least for me, I kind of thought that they would have to uh, win a shootout or two here uh, in Winnipeg and really rely on their offense for a couple of games. Uh, Their defense has been banged up for for much of the postseason. They're starting to get healthy, which will help them moving forward. But uh, I guess I didn't totally expect uh, this to be, you know, a a low-scoring series as it was. And I I thought they'd have a lot more offense, but uh, they're going to need that if they're going to get past Nashville. Again, we'll we'll preview those series in a bit. But, uh, yeah, that's what stood out to me. Uh, How about you, Paul? Well, I... 
I echo some of your sentiments, and I think it's it's a good sign for Winnipeg that they were able to limit a team like Minnesota, a pretty deep club, and the defense wins championships, they say. If that's the case, boy, you have to like what Winnipeg did in this first round. Only nine goals against in five games. That's less than two a game, and that's right where you want to be if you want to win series out. And Devin Dubnik certainly did not match Connor Hellybuck. Uh, he was left wanting with the goals against average north of three per game. And the save percentage was not there. So he kind of faltered a little bit uh, and prevented this from being a longer series. I think the goaltending matchup was one that that, uh, gave Minnesota a bit of a chance here in this one. I didn't think there was that much of a disparity between Hellebuck and Dubnik over the last year, even two. And uh, there was in this series. And to your point, Winnipeg did it with with a staunch defense more than uh, that vaunted offense that they have. They were a heavy team, a big team. And uh, Minnesota is a pretty large team too, so uh, the 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 skill and size of Winnipeg <coughs> eked out this win, and uh, good on them for going through it in five games. You need to get short series early on to advance in a long uh, long run in the playoffs. Winnipeg uh, did that in this first round. In the West, in the Pacific Division, uh, we were both on Vegas over Los Angeles. The season's regular season. Series, season series was 2-2 uh, and this series was uh, a Vegas in four. We both thought that Vegas would take it a little bit longer but uh, you got to be happy for that club another team that realized that you got to take it short if you want to go far but uh, the Cinderella story continues. I thought that this would be a much tougher series and so did you going six or seven games but uh, doing it in four really kudos to, to Vegas. The four games though don't think it was a runaway uh, it was a tight series AJ in terms of the four games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, looking at some of the some of the numbers on this uh, this series, you look at their power play numbers. Uh, Kings were at seven point seven, Knights at eight point three. Uh, penalty kill was pretty close to nine point two three for Vegas, nine point one seven for Los Angeles. Uh, even shots per game were within one. Uh, both uh, for both clubs. So really uh, what it came down to was goaltending. And that is not by any means a knock on Jonathan Quick. He had an outstanding series, limited it to just 1.75 goals allowed per game. But he ran into Marc-Andre Fleury, Fleury playing arguably his best hockey. And that's saying a lot for a guy that's already won three Stanley Cups. He had a pair of shutouts uh, in this series. And just was lights out. Now, he definitely got some help from his defense. I think uh, they really stepped up as well. Um, but for me, this series was all about the netminders. And I do honestly feel bad uh, for Jonathan Quick that he would play that well and still get bounced from the opening round series. Uh, you know, if there's anybody to blame, uh, the last person getting any blame for this sweep uh, has to be the netminder there in Los Angeles. No question. You know what, AJ, the surprising element to me was that I think LA had a size advantage here and certainly an experience advantage here, but but uh, w- Vegas did what they've done all year and that's shocked the world, basically, uh, uh, limiting the offense of the, the bigger veteran club on the other side of the ice and uh, their big scorers didn't really dominate either they didn't have anybody that had even two goals in this series so I think Vegas has a lot more to give and uh, I think they're going to show that in a more complete game I'll say with their offense coming through a little bit more than they did in the first round so we'll look forward to that second round series and we'll break that one down shortly too in the, in terms of what's gone on in the, on in the Eastern Conference we're going to begin with the, your club, and I'm going to ask you to break down what you saw 
in that series with uh, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, AJ. What's your thoughts? Uh, go first. All right. Well, uh, for me, obviously, I think uh, the big the big difference here uh, again was just uh, the depth on the two clubs. You know, you look at Pittsburgh; uh, their lines are just deeper than what they offer in Philadelphia. Uh, even without uh, Evgeny Malkin in Game Six, uh, Carl Hagelin got hurt in that game as well. Jake Gensel goes off for four goals. I mean, uh, this guy. Uh, I've been telling a lot of people about this stat lately. You look uh, in his regular season, he averages 0.31 goals per game. And that's a pretty high number, especially for a guy in his second year. Well, in the playoffs, that jumps to 0.61 goals per game. This guy knows how to score uh, in the postseason. Riley Shahan stepped in uh, phenomenally uh, in that game six when Malcolm was out. Uh, he'll pair with Kessel for game one here in the upcoming series. And so I really think it was the depth. The Flyers just don't have the same level of depth outside of you know, their top line, maybe their second line too. Uh, I mean, their fourth line is not scoring goals. Let's, let's be honest here. Uh, and I think they were just outclassed. The other problem is the net mining. The flyers have, haven't had a net minder for decades, uh, and they still don't. Uh, and so both guys were coming back from injuries. It sounds like neither one Elliot or Newverth was a hundred percent. Uh, they opted to go with them instead of Mrazic. Uh, who was healthy, but apparently, I mean, he has his own problems, his own baggage. But uh, what's really interesting, uh, like I said, the net mining is what separated it and the depth. Uh, and there, the Pittsburgh will need both of those things heading into the next round. AJ, I echo those sentiments. Uh, Gunsel, again, answering the bell in the postseason, uh, playing on Crosby's flank, certainly has a lot to do with it, said the kid. And Gunsel, leading scorers with 13 points each. Chris Letang deserves a mention here, too, for me. Seven points in six games. The guy's been healthy all year and reminded everybody in the hockey world just how elite a defenseman he is in this series, logging over 24 minutes per game and doing it with fine offensive game and a pretty good defensive game as well. Patrick Hornquist, a guy who played only four games in this series, and Evgeny Malkin only five, but they also topped a point per game. Uh, I hope they're healthy enough to go forward for your sake in the next round, AJ, but uh, the fact that they didn't play all six games is a bit of a concern for me as uh, teams go deeper. Their top guys have to be healthy and producing. They were producing, but I don't know how healthy they are. And then, of course, Phil the Thrill. Is this guy going to get a third Stanley Cup? I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> Five points in six games, but but really uh, the centerpiece on the third scoring unit. This is a, a team that really has a luxury of a three-headed monster that they all delivered the goods. And at this time of year, that's what you need in the postseason. In terms of what the Flyers have going, they have a pretty sound-looking defense on paper, but they got shredded in this series uh, in terms of the goals against situation. They allowed a total of 28 goals against in, in, in the short series, AJ. And that's a bit of an alarming stat for me when you do the postmortem on the Flyers because I thought that the defense of this team was kind of one of the team's strengths uh, on the season. It's a young defense core, and you'd be hard-pressed to find youth with this kind of an upside around the league. But I think they... they were uh, shocked and a little bit wide-eyed uh, and caught a little flat-footed 
in this series, and that's really a, something that accounted for uh, them going so uh, so meekly in the end, despite it was a six-game series, but there were some wild scores in this series, and Philadelphia just couldn't keep up. I guess the brightest light for them is the fact that Sean Couturier offensively has really emerged finally as a front-line pivot, nine points in the five games that he played there, but uh, Jacob Voracek was limited to three points, Claude Giroux, these guys were their leading scorers in the regular season, and really a no-show Giroux, a minus 10 in the first round. I mean, for those of us who malign Jake Gardner and his minus five <laughs> last night, Claude Giroux is right there with a pretty poor postseason performance, so I wonder if they're vilifying him in this city of brotherly love, the way that uh, fans are taking Gardner to task in Toronto. It's a pretty wild scene here, and we'll get to that shortly. AJ, the the uh, the other two games in this round, this round featured, of course, the Maple Leafs and Boston. We'll begin with that series and uh, talk about the fact that it went seven games. Uh, I want to get this out of my system uh, eventually, <laughs> but I'm, I'm wearing it today, and it's a tough day to get through this pod. I'll be honest with you because I'm so invested in this club. But there's a lot to be happy about in terms of going forward. But in terms of a postmortem on this series, it's a bit disappointing for me to say that uh, Freddie Anderson, uh, he he had some good games, but he had some pretty bad games in this series, and last night was a bad one. Uh, that third period, uh, there were a couple of goals there that were iffy in terms of the quality of, of shots that he could have stopped, and that, that didn't happen, but more telling was offensively the no-shows by uh, two of their featured forwards in Willie Nylander and Austin Matthews, uh, two and four points, respect, four and two points respectively for guys that were the centerpiece of this offense, of course. And you got to mention Jake Gardner, uh, ugly, minus five last night, but it wasn't the only bad game he threw up in the postseason. For the, their part, the Boston Bruins, they did what they needed to do. They survived the seven-game uh, run. Uh, Tuka Rask, I think took a bit of a hit here in terms of the perception that people have about him. I don't think this guy is is an elite level goalie at this stage, uh, at least this season. I I didn't like what I saw out of him. Uh, there were stretches where he was very vulnerable, and uh, I could say the same thing about even a, the aging Zdeno Chara. But he did limit. Uh, he was primarily responsible for limiting Austin Matthews a lot of the time. But I did notice a bit of a loss of of a bit of a step there for him. And I wonder against a speedier team that won't be uh, shut down by the physical style of game. I think Tampa does match up a little bit better than the Leafs. That's a bit of a, a gap that Boston has to fix. Their their offense was kind of hit and miss all series long. There were games where the top line was shredding the Leafs, but there were three games where they didn't even show up. And so that they need a little bit more consistency there. I was a little bit surprised that the Leafs could get... Uh, get that much of a handle on those three guys on the top line in the three games that they won yeah so i understand where you're coming from paul uh well actually i don't my team hasn't lost in the playoffs for the last two years (laughs) but uh i can certainly understand uh you know your grief but it's it's not all doom and gloom uh there in toronto uh a couple guys that stood out to me uh casperi kapanen I think looked great, especially last night on that shorthanded goal. Uh, that's the silver lining for you guys for the fact that you're still paying Phil Kessel $1.2 million a year to win Stanley Cups for Pittsburgh. Um, but no, I, I thought he looked really good. Um, a lot of the other guys, you know, they're, they're still 
let's not forget this is still a young team. Matthews, Marner, Nylander, these are still young guys still adjusting. I think Andreas Johnson looked really good for much of this series. Um, you know, maybe you would have wanted a little more production out of him, but I think uh, he kind of showed why they were giving him a shot here. Uh, the 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 downside, you know, the Nazem Kadri hit was a boneheaded play. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I think three games was appropriate for, for it. Um, I can certainly understand the heat of the moment kind of, uh, you know, anger there, but this is the playoffs. You can't do that and set your team back. So, uh, you know, hopefully he can, you know, turn that around heading into next season. And then the other one thing I'll mention, you know, I talked to you about this off air, but Connor Carrick never got into a single game here. And with how bad Jake Gardner uh, did look throughout the postseason. I'm a little surprised that Mike Babcock didn't at least try the 24 year old in a game. He couldn't have been worse. I mean, it's literally impossible <laughs> for Connor Carrick to have played any worse. Uh, and so for, from my standpoint, that's one question mark I have more for the coaching staff than anything else. Um, you know, obviously they see the team every day. You see them more than I do. So maybe there is something there. Um, but I, like I said, I don't think he could have played worse. I would have liked to see him at least get a look in one game. And if he was terrible, then you put Gardner back in. But uh, it's not all doom and gloom, Paul. Uh, things are, are still trending in the right direction. You got a young quality team uh, that just needs a, you know, a few, maybe another season, maybe next year's the year, uh, you know, that they get, uh, you know, get going more in the postseason. Well, you gave more of a Toronto postmortem than I did, but I want to hear what your <laughs> thoughts are on the Boston Bruins side of that equation. AJ, we didn't hear your thoughts there. So really love to hear what your observations are about the big bad Bruins, who I, I think use that big bad uh, moniker to their advantage in this round. Absolutely. I think the, the key here uh, is that this is a very physical team. They will wear you down uh, and drain on you, especially their forecheck will take it out on your defenseman. Uh, and that's something that I think can pair well for them uh, heading into the next series. Uh, you know, even that top line, a lot of times you think of top lines being all scoring lines. Uh, Bar Mar Marchand, Bergeron, Pasternak, these are physical playing guys. Uh, the only question mark I really had for this team uh, was the third line shuffle between Danton Heinen, Tommy Wingles, and then leaving Ryan Donato out of the lineup as well. Uh, I actually would like to see Donato get a look in a game, but I can certainly understand when you're when you've done some winning, why you wouldn't necessarily change it up uh, defensively. Uh, they're not going to blow you away, in my opinion, other than, you know, McAvoy, Char's got the cannon of a shot shot. But everybody here is really solid. Uh, they're they're a, a solid defensively minded team uh, that can help out Tuka Rask in between the nets. I agree with what you said. I think Tuka uh, looked human rather than uh, kind of superhuman as he has in the past. And so it'll be interesting uh, to see how that all shakes out. And the final series in the opening round, AJ, was Tampa and New Jersey. We both thought it'd be a longer series. And uh, this is the only one that you muffed out of the eight. So I congratulate you on a fantastic first <laughs> round. I went six and two. So we did okay between us. And uh, we're among the top pundits that I've seen out there in terms of first round predictions. So good on us. But Tampa rolled in five games. And again, to my earlier point, you've got to watch the teams that get through quickly and say they've done themselves a, a good service in terms of what they did offensively. Their leaders led uh, in, in Tampa scoring Nikita Kucherov was a little bit sluggish in the latter part of the season, and Steven Samkos was banged up. But they were better than a point per game uh, e e in each case here in the first round, leading that offense. 
And you know what? I also keep an eye on a guy like a JT Miller. This guy's fit in very seamlessly into that top six offensively. And so they delivered up front. And then on the blue line, you got what you needed to get out of a guys like Ryan McDonough and, uh, and uh, Mikhail Sergachev. I guess a bit of a disappointment was Victor Hedman was held scoreless in the five games, but even he was a plus two, logging 26 minutes a game. It's going to be tough sledding for them in the second round against Boston, but I'm looking forward to that matchup. And uh, that, that uh, Jersey Devils team, maybe they're like the Leafs in a certain sense, that this is a team that needed to dip their toe in the playoff waters, and so they gained their first bit of experience. I'm sure they would have loved to extend the series, but like you said about the Leafs, I think the future is very bright in New Jersey. They've got a lot of good pieces in place, a young team that has turned the corner from being an also-ran to, I think, being a legitimate playoff threat. We can look forward to them making the postseason again next year. Absolutely, and Taylor Hall had a phenomenal season uh, and really continued that into the to the playoffs here. Nico Heischer, I think he is is right there. Uh, you know, the, the playoffs, I think, were a little much for him. I think that's why you saw him just get the one point there. Um, but they certainly didn't take him off the ice. He still averaged 16.32 of ice time, which is pretty consistent with his season average uh, during the playoffs. So they were going to just let him uh, be out there and kind of find his way. So uh, I really like everything that they have to offer. I do see them as an up-and-coming team. Uh, you know, they had the kind of goalie question marks there they started with Kincaid ended up finishing out with Schneider uh Will Butcher I think stood out very well in this series so uh good things there as far as Tampa goes I think they got exactly what you expected out of them uh Vasilevsky started to look like the netminder he was in the first half of the season started playing a lot better uh you know and I know this was a five game series but if you look at it these games with the probably the exception of uh well, maybe game one, but they really were a lot closer uh, than you'd expect. You know, there were two goal games uh, for Tampa. You throw a couple empty netters in there, uh, then they're really kind of just one goal game. So uh, I think it was a lot closer series than than the 4-1 uh, final ends. The Lightning uh, is going to be an interesting matchup next series. Uh, these are two teams uh, that are very different. So it'll, I'm, like you, uh, interested to watch. And, uh, well... AJ, I'm going to talk about your, the series you're going to be keeping an eye on very closely in the second round. Pittsburgh and Washington first when we break down the conference semifinals that begin this evening. These are old rivals. They've met each other many, many times in the last several years. And uh, the rivalry, rivalry between them is pretty intense, as you will attest. So uh, I'm going to defer to you in terms of breaking down the offenses here. Let's start taking a look at the forwards of each team and try and highlight the injured status and uh, who we expect to rise up uh, in the first round for both the second round for both these teams. Yeah, I mean, the key here is Evgeny Malkin, Carl Hagelin are both out for game one. Uh, Hagelin didn't travel with the team, so he's probably out for game two as well. Looks like Dominic Simone is going to get a look on that second line uh, and head in there. Uh, Riley Shahan, I mentioned, uh, played in game six for Malkin. He's going to play in game one in that second spot as well. Uh, the nice part for Pittsburgh is that, yes, Simone, Shahan, not necessarily top six guys on a regular basis, but they're still going to be playing with Phil Kessel. So 
uh, really, uh, you know, you've got uh, two solid lines. I think the one concern here is I think it stretches out your depth a little bit. The fourth line uh, really doesn't have a lot of scoring options anymore like it would if you had Sheehan centering that group. So uh, the top two lines, I think, are still pretty even with what you're going to see from Washington. Uh, obviously, Ovechkin, Kuznetsov is a top group. Burakovsky is definitely not going to play for game one. He's still week to week. So Chandler Stephenson going in there with Backstrom and Oshie. Uh, interesting uh, situation with Oshie. Hasn't been practicing with the team. Uh, is still expected to play, uh, but it, do, it goes to show he's definitely dealing with something, playing through something there. Uh, and so it really... I think the first two lines match up pretty decently, especially when you take all the injured guys out. I think what happens is the third line for Pittsburgh, in my opinion, is a difference maker here. Derek Broussard is a phenomenal talent. Connor Sheary has played on Sid's line for a reason. Brian Rust is another playoff guy that steps up all the time. So for me, I give the edge in the forward depth to Pittsburgh, mostly because of that third line. Well, and I will eventually give Pittsburgh the edge in depth, but I'm a little bit concerned about the status of Evgeny Malkin, AJ. He needs to get back in this lineup quickly to give them that decided edge because really, after the second line on each team, it's fillers on both sides. You highlighted Broussard. I'll highlight the fact that Washington has Lars Eller, who played well down the stretch, to be the equal of Broussard, I'll say almost. So I think it's a real wash in terms of the 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 depth at forward with the people that are outside of the Pittsburgh lineup so they could eventually get the advantage I'm a little bit wondering about Connor Sheary if he's going to be moved up into a top six role over Simone uh, that uh, that one is a possibility for me because Simone hasn't got the uh, experience that Sheary did in terms of winning a cup with this club and I think at the playoffs you got in the playoffs you got to lean on the guys that have been there a little bit before so uh, Simone could be uh, vulnerable in terms of the depth on that uh, that second line to Shiri. I think that you could see them flip-flop over there. But the the physicality in this series could be ramped up with the likes of the depth players on both teams here. So I think it could be a long, tough rumble between two long-time rivals. When we look at the defense, I already talked a little bit about Chris Letang being healthy. That's great news for the Pittsburgh Penguins and really gives them uh, a chance to negate the top guy in Washington uh, who is a pending free agent. That's John Carlson. Uh, Justin Schultz, another guy who's a threat offensively. Only Matt is a guy that uh, concerns me, AJ. He really hasn't taken the next, the next step in terms of the development that I forecast for him. I thought he would be a, a terrific scoring guy and, and a guy who had a pretty good all-around game, but just hasn't delivered to that level. He's been steady, but not spectacular. And then the depth holder, placeholders there on the rest of the Pittsburgh roster, the third liners, Alexiak and Chad Ruedel, they're, they're going to just be there to hold, hope to break even uh, in terms of the, what they do on the blue line. For the Washington's point of view, I mentioned John Carlson, one of the elite scoring defensemen in hockey. Maybe got a bit of an edge there over Latang at this stage in his career. Uh, Niskanen, also a pretty good puck mover. I, I think the rest of the crew on Washington, more defensive placeholders. They, I put Dmitry Orlov in the same camp as as the uh, youngster that I mentioned for the Pittsburgh side when I talked about Oli Mata. So really, I see a bit of a wash in terms of the forwards and the defensemen at this stage. I gave the edge offensively to Pittsburgh eventually, but really I don't see an advantage on the blue line. Do you? 
I see a slight one and it's uh, a guy playing outside of his role. And for me, that's Brian Dumoulin. Uh, I agree with all of your assessment, you know, Carlson, Latang, pretty much even uh, Niskanen and Schultz play pretty much evenly. Uh, I think one interesting thing I noticed about Pittsburgh is their, their third pairing there, uh, who you mentioned, Olesiak and Ruido primarily are being used on the penalty kill. Uh, and so that's giving uh, those other four guys time off when, when that comes up. I mean, both these guys uh, are averaging around two minutes a game uh, specifically on, on killing penalties. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic there. But Brian Dumoulin, six points here in the playoffs. Uh, you look at his regular season numbers and he's well above anything he's done in the past five goals. That's as many as that's more than he had in the rest of his career. Uh, 13 assists for a career high, 18 points this year. Uh, and so he's really playing, uh, an offensive style game while also being one of our, uh, one of Pittsburgh's most complete defensemen as well. So I, I give a slight edge here to Pittsburgh, uh, due to Brian Dumoulin. Then in terms of the goaltending here, Braden Holby took back his job in that first round. Of course, uh, there were some eyebrows raised in Washington when Philip Grubauer got the first couple of games. And uh, when they went south and Columbus got the early edge, they switched to Holtby. And so they had that card to play and it worked out well because he reeled off four wins in closing out that series and allowed a total of nine goals against in those four games. So he came back to a little bit more of the status that we expect from him. And if he plays that that level, he closes the gap on on Matt Murray, who uh, was involved in a couple of high high scoring games for his part. Uh, in Pittsburgh set to uh, but the youngster does have those two uh, shiny goblets that he uh, that he puts on his hand <laughs> and can say I've won two Stanley Cups in the last couple of years and that to me gives him the bit a, a slight edge in goal I'll say despite the fact he's going up against a veteran who has multiple 40 win seasons on his ledger as well yeah I think the concern here for me uh, as far as Murray goes, is the high the high uh, goals allowed number. I mean, you look at game six, he gave up five goals on 26 shots. That's just a .808 uh, save percentage, which is certainly not good enough. He had three games in which his save percentage was below 900 uh, and walked away with wins in one of them. So uh, I, I do have serious concerns about that. I, I think I think Hopi get, being forced to sit was a... Um, a good decision. I think it got him. It, it allowed the team. Hey, if Grubauer does actually keep playing, then we'll keep riding him. But I think it's going to motivate Hopi. And I, and I do have, uh, I do think he's going to perform really well here. Uh, it's hard to give him the edge only because of the offensive firepower that Pittsburgh has. But if you're just comparing these two guys head to head, uh, I'm actually going to give it slightly to Holpe uh, based on recent performance. Now, you mentioned the two Stanley Cups uh, and the fact that Pittsburgh seems to know how to get into Braden Holpe's head. And we'll see how that all shakes out. But uh, for me, actually, I'll give the edge to the Washington netminder. So then what's your sense on the series? Who wins and how many games and why? Well, it's got to be a seven-game series. I don't think either uh, of the All-Stars, uh, Ovechkin or Crosby, are going to be able to really get one over on the other that much. Uh, I do think Pittsburgh, the offense, uh, the defense, uh, both of those I gave slight edges to. I, I know I said the net mining goes to Washington. So for me, it's a seven-game series with Pittsburgh getting the win. Uh, they were actually, for all the complaints about how bad they were on the road during the regular season, three of their four wins against uh, the Flyers came on the road. So uh, turning into a bit of a war, war, 
road warrior team here and they're going to need that because washington has home ice advantage but for me uh, i i think it is the penguins the experience factor is key the depth at forward if they can get malkin and Hagelin back at some point in this series i think that's a real game changer especially if burkowski doesn't come back so for me pens and seven Paul, uh, where are you going? I'm thinking it'll be a little bit quicker than you. I think the Penguins take this in six. I look at the history between these two teams, and it's heavily slanted in terms of Pittsburgh, in in terms of playoff success. And until that changes, that's got to be in the heads of the Washington Capitals. I don't care what anybody thinks. You mentioned that Pittsburgh's got their their act together on the road. That's going to stand them in good stead when they start this game, this series on the road in Washington. All the pressures on the Caps to to hold serve. I think the Pens come out of that with a split, hold serve at home, and uh, it ends in six games. We take a look now at the next series, and that's one that if I have to watch any more hockey this season, I guess I've got to take a look at Boston <laughs> and Tampa, what might have been. But uh, in the regular season series, Boston had the number of the, the Tampa Lightning. However, Tampa did play a little bit better than them on the whole on the season. That's why they get the home ice advantage. They built up that early lead, and Boston chipped away. But Tampa did get their game together, I think, and really showed a bit of a nasty side to the to them of themselves that i hadn't seen and hadn't expected all season long they ramped up the physical silo game and played a very nasty game that made me think of the boston bruins a lot when i was watching that series and i said hmm that we when we broke down the leaf series that nastiness really worked for boston but i don't think they can put that over on tampa uh, if you look at the uh, offensive side of both clubs the flashy nature of the tampa offense gives me pause to think They've got a lot more weapons than the Leafs threw at the, at the Bruins, and uh, the likes of Kucherov and Stamkos are on fire right now. J.T. Miller contributing as well. Their second line is no slouch. It could be a first line on most teams with Braden Point, who's had a fine couple of years in the NHL, and Tyler Johnson, who uh, a couple of years removed from uh, dominating the NHL offensively, and, and Andre Palat, just a serviceable guy who finds his way on the score sheet more often than not in a second-line role as well third line and fourth line there's a lot of experience there uh, and a lot of talent in terms of youngsters Yanni Gord is a kid that I'd really like but Ryan Callahan Chris Kunitz Wiley veterans that know their way around and you can throw Alex Killorn into the mix there's a a lot of weapons here top to bottom on the Tampa roster that to make me think that they have a dynamite offense and too much, a lot of weapons for, for Boston to be concerned about. When we look at the Bruins, they showed me that they're a two-line team, but it's funny when I noticed that it's the first line and the fourth line. Sean Corrali and Nola Cherry and Tim Schaller had a great series against the Maple Leafs. They came up with a lot of key goals, and the Bruins are not afraid to use that fourth line uh, with almost abandon here. They, they change momentum. They play well at both ends of the ice, and they factored into the offense. The guys that let the Bruins down here in the first round a little bit were, in my opinion, Rick Nash and, to a certain extent, uh, uh, David Backus, two veteran guys that I expected to see much more out of. Uh, Certainly, Nash was blanked in that first-round series. Backus had a goal, I think, and so I think they expect they need more production out of these guys if they're going to get past Tampa in a long series like this. But on the whole, I saw more positives out of the, the depth on Tampa than I did in Boston in that first round. And that gives me pause to say I think Tampa has a bit of an edge offensively in this series. 
Well, Paul, that breakdown actually has me reconsidering uh, my pick here. I'm not, I may have to change my mind. We'll see how the rest of our conversation goes. Uh, I actually, you know, going into this, I, I, I thought Boston uh, had a little more depth, uh, in my opinion, just because of the ability to get scoring from those bottom lines. Uh, I, I think Tampa doesn't exactly have that. Now, the flip side is, that Kunitz Paquette Callahan line, that is going to be a physical bruising line. And if they play that way, which they're certainly capable of, I agree. They could certainly match the physicality of Boston. Um, but overall, I don't think they have that throughout their lineup. I think what you're seeing here is kind of a finesse uh, versus a physicality matchup here. For the most part, now I agree, Tampa looked a lot more physical in that first round. And for me, Chris Kunitz is actually going to be the key here. This is a guy that's won four Stanley Cups. He knows what it takes in the postseason. Uh, He's got the physical aspect, can add some scoring. And so he's kind of my X factor in this series, depending on what he does. Uh, whether it be, you know, playing aggressively, uh, his ice time has definitely been down. It's only been around eight minutes. I would like to see that go up, especially against a team uh, that's not quite as fast. I think that was maybe why it was down. The devils are a little speedier, um, but I think against a more physical team, I think you need Chris Kunitz playing more. And so he's kind of going to be my X factor overall, uh, on both sides of this series. So I, I think I'm going to go Tampa in a slight edge. Um, but I, I could easily be swayed to say Boston as well, because I do think they have slightly more scoring depth. Yeah. And I, I was, we were remiss in not mentioning Jake DeBrusque. He had a fine series for them in the supporting role in Boston, but I'll stick with my guns and say Tampa gets a slight edge offensively in terms of breaking down the blue lines, AJ, both teams have a giant on uh, defense as their centerpiece, and that's something that also closes the gap between these two teams when you measure them up. Certainly for Boston, they got mileage out of Zdeno Chara, but he looked a little bit worn by the end of that series. Charlie McAvoy, uh, kind of a bit of an MIA, in my opinion, in that first round for the Bruins uh, in terms of that first pairing. Tori Krug, though, was the star offensively for the Bruins. He got the key goal that got them back on even terms early in that third period last night, but he also was better in that point game uh, player, one of the top scoring defensemen in all of the playoffs, and really has taken that next step in becoming the linchpin on the power play for the Bees. So they have the defensive shutdown pairing on the first line with the up, uh, upside of Charlie McAvoy. I don't think I think you'll notice him more in the second round here, and uh, they'll need his offense to be stepped up a little bit. Chara needs to uh, get a little bit of a rest here before the pucks dropped on Saturday. A nice thing for Boston that that series doesn't start for a couple of days. And rounding out the Blue Bruins defense, Adam McQuaid banged up again last night. I wonder what condition he's in to go forward. Beyond that, it's Mike Grzilek and uh, Kevin Miller rounding out Uh, the nondescript portion of the Boston defense, I'll say. I was a little bit surprised that Nick Holden wasn't more of a factor for the Bruins defensively. They picked him up for the Rangers to help him out down the stretch, but he was a bit of a no-show in the first round, and uh, of course they're missing Brandon Carlo on that blue line as well. He'll miss the whole playoffs with the injured situation. For their part, Tampa has the big horse on the blue line, that the Leafs really are wanting, and really that narrows the gap here in this matchup. As I said, Victor Hedman didn't have a great first round, uh, AJ, but he did show, he was one of the guys that showed that nastiness that I think that 
surprised me that uh, really uh, is an equalizer in this series. I think the, the, he will help the, the Bolts stand up to the physicality of the Bruins. So will a guy like a Dan Girardi and Ryan McDonough. These guys have been through the wars in uh, in uh, their careers, and so the experience that they bring to the table will not make th- make them not shy away from the Bruin forechecking. You can throw Anton Stralman into the mix, and then on the third pairing, you got Mikhail Sergachev. So to me, the huge advantage for Tampa in this series is on the blue line here with the depth that they offer and can counter the uh, Boston six six group. Yeah, on paper, I agree. Um, but in practice, it's it's not what we saw in the opening round. Uh, you mentioned Hedman not getting any points. Uh, the entire Maple Leafs blue line had less points than Tory Krug. Now, I get Krug played a few more games. Um, but when Boston was writing up who was going to be their leading scorers after the first round, they probably didn't say it was going to be Krug and Kevin Miller. Uh, so <laughs> I think the fact that they're getting scoring from guys that they not necessarily were hoping or, or planning on relying on, uh, you know, McAvoy is playing upwards of 23 minutes a game, uh, along with Char, he's up there as well. And so I really think, uh, on paper, I would have given the edge to Tampa, but in practice, what we're seeing on the ice, I think you have to give it to Boston. Uh, the key here is going to be how the Lightning defensemen hold up against that Boston physical forecheck. Uh, they have some guys with some speed. They're definitely aggressive on the puck, and that's going to wear down guys like McDonough and Strawman and Dan Girardi. Uh, and so it's going to be a big question to me how they hold up. I, the other big concern I have here is Victor Hedman's minutes are 26 a game. That's almost uh, four minutes, uh, more like three minutes ahead of everybody else on the team. So they're obviously using him, uh, double shifting him. You know, Mikhail Sergachev only played 10 and a half minutes per game. That's really low. Uh, they're almost only using five defensemen. And against a physical team like Boston, I think uh, that four checks the way they do, it's really going to wear down those guys as they're shouldering a bigger load. And then breaking down the goalies, I mean, I already gave my assessment on Tuka Rask. He comes out of that first round with a 294 goals against, but the save percentage to me is shocking at less than 90%. And you don't like to see that going into the postseason anywhere but uh, I want to look at what what uh, we think about Vasilevsky here's a guy who was uh, I guess uh, one of the runaway leaders in Vesna conversation in the first half of the season tailed off a little bit in the second half but the first round of the playoffs you said it best partner he he had the, the goals against right around two per game and looks to be at the top of his game and if that's the case I give a, a big advantage to Tampa going into this set they started off at home and if they hold serve that's a lot of pressure on the Bruins so early on in this series I I like Tampa going in I'll begin with the prediction here by saying that I think Tampa's going to win this series can be a long one though these teams don't like each other and they had some uh, four set twos in the regular season Boston taking them three to one uh, but the last one was telling to me uh, when the chips were down late in the season, Tampa shut them out for nothing in a home game that really decided first place in the division. And I'm thinking I'm thinking a large part of my decision to, to lean on Tampa is the way they showed in that game and the way they showed in the first round that they ramped up their game. They found their groove again uh, where there was some doubt in March. Uh, I think in, in early April they've shown that they are going to be a force to be reckoned with and I like to think that the Leafs took a little bit out of the Bruins in this series by extending them and I don't see them prevailing in a long series against Tampa. I do think you're you're on to something there with the, the wear and tear uh, in the long series but 
I think the NHL kind of did Boston a favor here by pushing this uh, a couple games out. They could have easily been justified in having them play their first game on Friday. I don't think that would have been uh, prohibitive. Uh, obviously, you know, you want teams at their best. And so I understand giving them two two days to rest up. And I think that's why I'm going to go Boston in seven on this one. Uh, I know Tuka Rask look, looked uh, somewhat average here at, at the in the first round. And Vasilevsky uh, stepped up a lot better. He ended the season very poorly. Um, but I think I expect that to flip. I think the long season uh, showed that it was a little too much for Vasilevsky. I think they relied on him a little too heavily. Uh, in what's really kind of his only second season. Uh, And Tuka Rask has been here before. He's a veteran. He knows what it takes to get it done. Uh, And so I'm going to go Boston in seven. In part, um, really, uh, for me, it's that first line of Boston. The the ability to play offensively and physically uh, is going to wear down the defense for Tampa Bay. And it's going to expose Vasilevsky to way more shots here. Uh, than than he may have seen in the first round. So for me, it's Boston in seven. Plus, it's no fun if we just pick the same team the whole time. <laughs> You're just trying to grind me with the Boston thing. I know it. <laughs> I'm not in the mood to argue today. <laughs> so carry on with our analysis of the Western Conference. And uh, it's got to begin with the series in San, uh, San Jose and Vegas. Regular season, Vegas took this three to one. And uh, when I look at the offenses of both clubs, I uh, like the fact that... Uh, that the Vegas club is going into this relatively healthy up front, AJ. And that means a guy like a Riley Smith should be a factor in this round. He uh, reunites that top unit with William Carlson and Jonathan Marchessault, one of the top puck possession teams in the league just because of that primary unit, I guess you can say. But uh, these three guys really showed their former clubs that maybe they should have protected them a little more closely at the expansion. Uh, they're the the linchpins of the, what Vegas does offensively night in, night out. But the gap has been closed by a second line that's really emerged over the season with Alex Tuke and Eric Halla, two guys that weren't household names at the beginning of the year. They form a nucleus of the second group with James Neal, perhaps their signature offensive piece when the season started, rounding out that group. They're all healthy and they're all firing. And so that gives me pause for concern uh, for San Jose's efforts to try and defend them. Then you throw out the fact that there's even more depth behind them with Cody Eakin, who's had top six minutes in his history uh, elsewhere and uh, holding down that third spot. David Perron, another guy who could be almost named a bit of a power play specialist at times for rounding out, helping them round out a third scoring unit. Ryan Carpenter fills that out. Then the third line, fourth line is kind of a placeholder with Carrier, Belmer, and Nosek on paper at least deciding to start the series. But they also have toughness in Ryan Reeves in reserve and Thomas Tatar, a guy who's played up and down this lineup to provide depth. So I think there's lots of positives that are on the Vegas side to see more offensive production than we saw to them in the first round. And I think they will deliver that against a, a San Jose team that might be a little bit overmatched when you consider the depth that they have up front. To me, this looks like a two-line team offensively. Uh, Joe Thornton's still on the sidelines. I don't know what whether we'll see him in these playoffs. AJ, maybe you'll have a thought about that. But uh, the good news for them is that Evander Kane has really bought into life in uh, California and played very, very well for them and done himself a favor in terms of uh, reigniting his career as a top-line uh, left winger, one of the best in the league, uh, in fact. 
Joe Pavelski, I can't say enough about this guy and what he's done this season to hold down the center role in terms of Thornton's absence and really being a key to their offense, even though he's had to switch position. Junis Donskoy, uh, a bit of a surprise on the right wing here that they haven't got a little bit more depth when you consider how far they've got, went the regular season and uh, how quickly they, they managed to get into the second round here. Donskoy and Bodker not... Uh, the most prolific of right wing uh, right wingers that's a the, the bit of a uh, black hole on in the terms of this offense aj and this is where i think they fall a little bit short of the uh, the quality that i see on this vegas side the uh, third line here timo meyer is a guy who's played top six minutes uh, as well chris tierney got a look in top six minutes uh kevin lebank as well so three considerable uh, options there in terms of scoring but it's the right wing here that falls a little bit short and gives me the chance to say Vegas has a bit of an edge when you look at the overall slant yeah I'm gonna agree with you overall uh, as far as Jumbo Joe goes I, I really at this point I'd be surprised if he plays I, I think he's healthy enough to skate and so they're putting him out there just to kind of mess with the other teams now I could be wrong on that obviously but um, you know, he's already been r- ruled out for game one. Uh, I really would be surprised to see him come back. I do think if he did, that would create a really interesting situation where it might solve uh, a little bit of that right wing problem because they can move Pavelski back over there and to have a top line potentially of Kane, Thornton and Pavelski uh, really would outclass any any line that Vegas could put out. But for me, I 100 percent agree with you, Paul. I think the depth here is what gives the Golden Knights the edge. Yes, they didn't do a ton of scoring in the first round, but let's not forget David Perron only played in the second two games here, uh, didn't play in the first ones. And so uh, that's a bit of a, an X factor there as well, having him fully healthy. Uh, and I think something you alluded to off the top about uh, guys wanting to show the other teams uh, that they shouldn't have let them go. I think you're probably on to something here, you know, and in some of these cases, Vegas got, not only did they take these guys who were left ex- uh, exposed, they got something in order to ensure they took these guys. Uh, and so I do think there's a motivation factor here uh, about showing other teams, hey, if you had put me in this role that I'm now playing in Vegas, look what I could be doing for you. Um, and so I think it's an interesting uh, kind of side note on this whole thing. Uh, and, and I do think the edge for Vegas, primarily due to depth, uh, goes to them. How about the blue line? Let's break down this group of six uh, in each case. Uh, again, uh, guys like Braden McNabb, Nate Schmidt, Derek Anglin, Shea Theodore, they weren't household names in the NHL. Maybe the the most notable, in my estimation, was Shea Theodore. He... he uh, had some big offensive games in this past to kind of bring his name to light but really none of these guys was a linchpin of their previous defense course but together they've worked very well in terms of forming two solid pairings here and then a guy i have lots of time for is colin miller i always like to remind people that this guy has a great skill set in terms of the offensive talents and uh, i think defensively he's a little bit suspect that's why he's holding down third line minutes here but uh a lot of variety, a lot of talent, and a lot of shutdown capabilities here uh, in this group. With, uh, when I consider Schmidt and McNabb particularly, and England, that's three pretty good shutdown types that they can put out there uh, on this blue line. So I like that fact on their side of the equation. In terms of San Jose, of course, it begins with the talk of Brent Burns, who reestablished himself as one of the top scoring defensemen in hockey. 
Mark Edward Vlasic and Justin Braun had pretty good offensive seasons too. I like Vlasic and his two-way game. Paul Martin, a guy who's very long in the tooth. You know a lot about him from his time in Pittsburgh, AJ, and you probably have something to say about him. But I just think overall that there are some holes here. The third pairing looks to be a little bit susceptible to me when you consider that Brendan Dillon and Dylan DeMello are not of the quality of the, the top six that uh, that Vegas can counter with. So I think, again, on the blue line, in terms of overall depth, I give Vegas the advantage. Certainly the signature player from both sides on the blue line, Brett Burns, kind of narrows that gap, and he has to have a big series for San Jose if they expect to advance. I couldn't agree with you more here. Uh, Brent Burns will be uh, kind of the linchpin here for what happens for, for San Jose. He's going to need to have a big series. Uh, the Golden Knights just don't have offensive, you know, other than Shea Theodore, really. They're just not an offensively minded group. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just think that's not their really their forte. I mean, you look at that blue line, they combined for just four total points uh, in the postseason. And so uh, it's not what they're expected to do. I think if Brent Burns has a big, uh, big series here, a big playoffs, bringing Paul Martin back, I think is going to be the key to that. He really frees up more than anybody else that they tried to put with Burns. He really frees him up to go into the offensive end. Uh, you mentioned, you know, my kind of knowledge of Paul Martin. He did this for years for Chris Letang, uh, you know, played as that kind of defensively minded, uh, you know, backup to allow his partner to get into the offensive zone. So I, I agree. The depth overall is why Vegas gets the edge. Um, but Brent Burns having a big series could certainly change that. And, uh, you know what? When it looks, when you look at the goalies, we're reminded of the fact that these are two teams that are coming off sweeps. So the goaltenders both excelled in the first round. And you you said a lot about Mark Andre Fleury, but if you substitute the name Martin Jones, you could just carry on with the same narrative. He was outstanding in that first round, and if he plays at this level, there might not be too much of a gap between the two goalies in this set too but I have a little bit more confidence in Fleury being able to continue with this pace because he's done it all year long and a pretty even keel whereas Martin Jones has kind of been up and down he lost the starting goalie gig uh, late in the season for a little while to Aaron Dell so I'm a little bit more nervous for San Jose's goaltending situation as well and uh, so I got I've got check marks in all three columns for for Vegas in this series but maybe the fact that the goaltending uh, is the biggest surprise for me that uh, that uh, Jones has got back in the groove and narrowed the gap. That's a bit of a surprise because otherwise I would have given a wide advantage to to them in in the goaltending situation to, to Vegas here. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. Uh, you know, Flurry has been just playing out of his mind lately uh, and has really stepped up his game. Uh, the the deciding factor here for me with how well both guys have played is the experience factor. You've got three-time Stanley Cup champion in Flurry. Uh, Martin Jones, uh, two years ago, made that deep run. So he's he's not by any means a, a rookie uh, facing you know his first playoff series. But uh, I think if Flurry continues to play as well as he does, if his teammates can limit shots for him, uh, this will be uh, Vegas's series to win. Uh, overall, I would not be horribly shocked to see each of these games end one nothing. Uh, <laughs> they're just they're that close of team uh, in the netminders, and they've both been just playing uh, incredibly well. 
this is perhaps if if Pittsburgh were out of it, this would be the series I'd be most intrigued to watch. Um, I just think uh, how these two teams shake out. Watching the Vegas storyline in itself is great, um, but obviously I'll be tuned in to Pittsburgh Washington. But other than that, I'll be watching this one, sporting my Mark Andre Fleury jersey on a regular basis. And so it probably won't shock the world to, for me to guess that you have Vegas winning this series. I do. And I I think as we've talked here, uh, I like you have them giving uh, the edge in all three columns. So I'm actually going to go Vegas in five. Uh, I originally had it going another game or two, but uh, we've learned over the course of the season to doubt the Golden Knights uh, is to your own ruin here with how well they've been. Uh, I said they'd be a playoff team. They surprised everyone by winning the division. Uh, and sweeping their first round series. So I'm going to go Golden Knights in five, but that easily could be a set of five one win games uh, for them. Uh, Paul, I think you kind of tipped your hand. You're going with Vegas as well. How many games? Yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit longer. I just think that San Jose's got uh, a lot of experience in their lineup. They're not going to go meekly and mildly into the night after a pretty good first round as well. I like what they saw as of their overall game. And uh, to me, Brett Burns is a bit of the X factor here. How well he plays could determine how long this series goes. But I just think there's too much depth in Vegas's lineup. And uh, the fact that Marc-Andre Fleury is playing way out of his head. Uh, he's got the pedigree, no question. But I've never seen him play this well uh, in his career, I'll say. He, he was supported by a Pittsburgh offense for years. And the goals against was in the two high twos or mid twos but now he's like a soccer goal he won a game or less so uh, really on top of his game loving life in vegas and he'll lead this team into the next round i do believe in six games we'll wrap it up with i think the marquee matchup in terms of what a lot of fans have been waiting for at least north of the border to see just how winnipeg does match up against nashville when you saw these teams match up in the regular season you saw nashville take three out of four games i watched them all and this was some of the best hockey i saw all season long aj so i can't wait for these two to get going here in terms of the winnipeg offense of course they've got maybe more name recognition in terms of the front liners here on this team and it begins with mark shifley blake wheeler Patrick Laine, you know all these names that we talked about all season long, and really top to bottom, I love the depth that Pittsburgh ha- that Pittsburgh Winnipeg has uh, offensively. Laine coming off a series where he had five five games played, he had four points. He was one of their leading snipers, uh, as expected. But Mark Shifley had four, the four-goal game, uh, four goals rather in the five games, and uh, Wheeler one goal, four uh, four points in that series. Uh, lesser lights like Brian Little, Andrew Kopp uh, fill out the roster. Kyle Connor, to me, a bit of a wild card that didn't perform like he did during the course of the regular season. Neither did Nikolai Ehlers. So more to give there in terms of a couple of guys on the wing on the top six for Winnipeg. And uh, they'll, But they'll be challenged by a very good defensive structure that Nashville offers. I think there's more neck rec- uh, name recognition offensively in Winnipeg that there, than there is in Nashville. When I implied earlier, the top scorers for the Predators were guys who aren't household names like Austin Watson and Colton Sissons, but they're guys that are they're renowned playoff performance that, that have uh, cut their teeth in the postseason with long runs before. Uh, they'll be surrounded by the likes of Ryan Johansson, who has to do, uh, continue to do what he did in the first round, five points in six games. I want to see more out of Kyle Tourist. He only had one assist in the first round, and uh, they'll need more from him. 
to uh, offset what we expect from the Winnipeg Jets. Kevin Fiala, Craig Smith, these guys are, are guys that have been around the Nashville scene and have risen to the occasion of the postseason. Both of them only held the two points in six games. So what I'm saying is I expect more offense in general from Nashville than what they showed in the first round. Over six games, they did average three and a half goals a game, but there was no signature play that really exploded. It was just a consistent wave of offense more than anything else. Philip Forsberg, a name that I'm remiss in not mentioning to date, led their attack with four goals as well, tying Watson for the club lead. He's a guy that has to deliver the goods in order for them to advance in the next round. So I think there's talent on both sides, but for me, the name recognition is a bit of a slight lean in favor of Winnipeg in the first round in this round yeah i agree uh there as well i'm gonna give the edge to winnipeg here in the forward uh ranks and i I find it interesting that both these clubs find themselves uh where they are after adding a key center uh via trade you've got kyle terris on one side paul stastny on the other side for for the jets and so uh kind of an interesting dynamic there of how it plays out i think those two should anticipate seeing a lot of each other um, the overall Nashville, as you mentioned, uh, relies on, they don't have kind of one huge signature player. Ryan Johansson arguably could fill that role or Philip Forsberg, uh, potentially. But, uh, you know, when you talk about stars in the league, I don't think either of those guys generally will see their name come up. Whereas Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley definitely will. Uh, and for me, I think the, the overall concern here is going to be the health of the jets. You know, you've got Ehlers actually missed, uh, you know, the last uh, the last game there with uh, an undisclosed injury, although he's practicing without limitations. Matthew Perot has been out for a while. Uh, the last four uh, games, what's uh, impactful for him is not so much his five on five role, but the fact that he's usually on their power play, uh, which even without him in there. That power play was pretty solid all uh, postseason here, uh, 23.1%, so doing well, but could only do better if they can get him healthy. Uh, And then uh, kind of another interesting note, Patrick Laine hasn't been practicing the last few days. You have to wonder uh, if he's playing through something a little bumped up. But overall, uh, I agree. I think there's there's slightly more uh, scoring ability from both clubs, I think could elevate, but I think the jets, if they get Kyle Connor going, if they get Nikolai Ehlers if Matthew Perot can return and boast, uh, that power play, I think this is a dangerous, dangerous offense, uh, that may find itself, uh, you know, really able to outclass the, the Nashville offense, which is saying a lot. Yeah, and you got to put that in the context of the defense that they oppose. And when you look at the Nashville defense, my goodness, they have three guys in on this team that could be number ones on any almost any other team in the league. When you look at the top pairing, Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis. Ryan Ellis is now healthy after having missed the first half of the season, but really playing a dominant style of game that that top pairing and then pk suban on a second unit with matthias ekholm maybe the most underrated defenseman one of the more underrated defensemen in hockey i'll say because he's also an offensive threat uh, rounding out that top uh, t- two pairings i don't think there's any team in the league that can boast anything close to the depth that they have back there and it it allows them to put uh, alexi emelin who was a top pairing guy in montreal not too long ago on a third pairing along with matt Irwin. they've got got the likes of Anthony Bittetto and Petter Granberg 
and even uh, Alexander Carrier and Yannick Weber. They've got eight guys that they could look to on the blue line that they could throw in without missing too much of a beat. Weber, another offensive threat in, in reserve. So just tons of depth on the Nashville blue line that I don't see anywhere uh, that any other team is close to them in, in terms of defensive ranks. But that's not to say that you can uh, ignore what Winnipeg offers. Jacob Truba, uh, we're expecting him to break out uh, sooner rather than later in terms of showing himself to be an elite defenseman. Josh Morrissey's really elevated his game. Toby Enstrom, one of the power play, one of the better power play quarterbacks in ho- hockey when he's healthy. And we haven't even touched on the twin towers of Dustin Bufflin and Tyler Myers. Myers particularly raised the level of his game again this season to what I hadn't seen for years and solidifying that group. But Dustin Bufflin, maybe the signature guy on this team, boy, oh boy, would you hate to line up against this guy for a seven-game series, AJ. (laughs) You'd come out of that with a lot of bumps and bruises because he's more apt to run over you than go around you just for fun and uh, (laughs) a really skilled player. So the defenses on both clubs really shine but I can't help but give the edge to Nashville here. Yeah, you you really have to, and everything that they that those uh, three guys that you highlighted uh, have have done in their their careers uh, before and with Nashville. Uh, Toby Enstrom here is is the wild card. He's coming back from an injury, hasn't played since March 23rd, missed the entire first round series. So uh, if he's healthy and can play. He did practice in a regular jersey rather than a no-contact jersey on Tuesday, so that is a good indication that he's, uh, you know, close to returning. We'll see how that all shakes out, uh, you know, closer to game time. The one concerning part for me, as it goes to Nashville's defense, is you look at the minutes played. You've got uh, Yossi, Subban, Ellis, and Ekholm are all up over 20 minutes a game. Uh, the three, Ellis, Subban, and Yossi, are all closer to 25 minutes per game. And then Emlyn and Weber, or Irwin, rather, are down around 11 and a half and 10, respectively. And so they're really just riding those first four guys. Now, I can certainly understand that. We talked about how good the three of them are. <laughs> and, you know, uh, you know, Ellis is no sl- slouch either. Ekholm's got the points so far. Uh, so I understand why they would do that, but I think as the series goes along, they're going to have to use Emlyn and Irwin more, if only to rest those guys up, especially if this goes to six or seven games. So uh, if they can get it done quick, I, I think the edge goes to, to Nashville here. But if it drags on, that minutes actually has me giving a slight edge to Winnipeg, who I think is uh, more apt to use all six of their defensemen. In the goaltending situation, Pekka Rinne made the case for him himself uh, being considered one of the elite goalies in hockey once again this season. That didn't end in the playoffs. He had a pretty nice first round save percentage was around 91% goals against around 260 and uh, came away with the four wins needed to advance obviously but Connor Hallibuck kind of outshone him in the first round except for one game he was lights out in that set too and really has elevated his status to one of the elite goalies in hockey but I still have to give the edge a little bit to Rene in terms of the overall body of work and, and the pedigree that he brings to the table. Hallibuck's only done it one year, and it's a magical season so far. But Rene has been there year in, year out for the last several seasons. So on that basis, I'm going to give him a bit of a slight advantage here in terms of the goalie matchup. But boy, Connor Hallibuck has certainly set himself up for a nice payday when he goes to sign his next contract for sure, hasn't he, A.J.? 
Absolutely. He, he should uh, and has done everything to get paid. Uh, I think with how much uh, playoff hockey the Preds played last year, I think the coaching staff here made a phenomenal decision at the end of this season. And they essentially, for the last uh, nine, uh, seven games, rather split Peke Rene and UC Saros in goal uh, and gave four of those seven games to Saros. And I think that has Rene looking really, really good. Um, for the last eight, rather, I missed one in there, but I think, uh, that's really going to help, uh, him long-term now Rene is also uh, similar to Hellybuck did throw up a couple stinkers where he allowed four goals. Uh, one of which was four goals on 15 shots before getting the hook. So both these guys at least got pulled, uh, did get pulled once, uh, during, uh, the postseason here, but came back stronger and better. I mean, you look at Hellybuck allows six goals on 22 shots, gets yanked, completely blanks Minnesota in the next two games uh, and has not allowed a goal in two straight games now. And so I'm actually going to give the edge to Hellybuck. Uh, he's just playing so well right now. Uh, it's hard. I get everything you said. Rennie's got a longer pedigree on it, um, but it's, you know, got to ride the hot hand. And for me, Hellybuck is probably one of the best right now, if not for Flurry and Martin Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and so the call in this series for me, I uh, spoke very glowingly of both clubs, but I think Nashville is the team that I picked to win it all at the beginning of the season. I see no reason to change that vote right now. So I'm taking Nashville in six games here. I think that the home ice will be a factor for them. It is for Winnipeg too. Don't get, don't get me wrong. That whiteout is really spectacular to watch when the fans get going in Winnipeg. But Nashville has something magical going this season and they know they were this close last year to getting to the silverware and I, I don't think they'll be stopped in this round. I think it's going to be six gamer. Well, I, I can certainly understand you picking Nashville uh, to win, but to say it's going to be six games, I think you're insane. This is a seven-game <laughs> series either way. Um, but for me, I do think the Jets are going to come out on top. I think Hellybuck's just playing uh, so well right now. I love all the forward depth that, that the Jets have to offer. I think they have a little bit more scoring pedigree, especially if they get healthy. Uh, and so it'll be a close one. It'll be an exciting one. Uh, but I'm going to go Jets in seven. I certainly can see you picking Nashville, but six. Come on, Paul. You know this is a seven-game series. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to see how it unfolds. But uh, <laughs> we got to give a nod to our friends at FanDuel. They've been great supporters of ours all season long. We have uh, the opportunity to switch gears to a little bit of baseball talk. But before we talk about that, AJ, I want to know what your strategy might be or your best recommendations because we're talking about a thin slate of games here going forward. At best, we'll see maybe one, one or two nights of three games, but most of the time it'll be one or two games. What do you do here in terms of separating yourself from the field or, or winning in FanDuel at this stage of the season? Well, for me in the postseason here, I, I've kind of avoided the the multi-game slates. I've I, the goaltending situations are just so hard to pick. Uh, who's going to come out on top? I mean, to really, if there's a multi-game slate with that uh, that San Jose Vegas, like which goaltender are you going to pick? Uh, you know, so I've been trending towards the the uh, the single game slates because they don't have you pick a goaltender. You do have to key in on that one captain. Uh, and for me, I've been going pretty much exclusively uh, with 
a guy who has a proven stretch of, of producing. Now, uh, obviously, if you can catch lightning in a bottle, like, say, using Jake Gensel when he scored four goals, that, that probably would have won you uh, some money that night. But I generally use uh, guys like Shifley, Wheeler, uh, you know, Ryan Johansson uh, in those single-game slates. So that's generally been my strategy is to kind of avoid the multi-game slates just because I don't want to pick that goaltender you might as well throw darts at a dartboard at this point as far as who's going to have a good goaltending night yeah and then i mentioned the baseball's off and running so we got multiple games to choose from in that in that portion of the FanDuel uh, register or menu of options and and uh, we're getting to the point now where we've got a significant track record in terms of the games played we now, we now can see trends that players are producing and really where they're lining up in terms of their their position in the batting orders uh, offensively certainly pitchers you want to get guys that are feeling good maybe on a bit of a roll and i love the fact that we have the fa- the ability to look at resources in terms of batter versus pitcher history pitchers versus opposing lineups history and uh, the trend lines in terms of what have they done recently so all the all that together makes this a really fun uh, prospect of getting involved in the fantasy baseball. I know that you're not a baseball guy as in, or as engaged as I am in, in the sport, but uh, I do think that there's a lot of tool that, tools that Rotowire does offer and other tools el- elsewhere, for that matter, that makes it really fun to do some research and planning. But really, you got to get back to Rotowire's website because we do such a great job of putting the lineups together, and you got to get that right before anything else, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. The the key for me, uh, as far as tools, like you said, I'm I'm not an avid baseball watcher. So if I'm going to play a little DFS, I definitely stop at the batter versus pitcher matchup page. It'll key you in on guys who are you know have a hot batter matchup, guys with a cold who you may want to avoid, uh, and I'll use that to make some informed decisions when I head over to lineup optimizer, lock in a few guys that uh, you know I th- based on those matchups that I think are going to have a good game, and let the optimizer help me build it out the rest of the way. I had a top ten finish with that strategy in the uh, the RotoWire free roll. So if I'm beating guys like uh, you know DVR and uh, yourself, Paul, who are more in tune with baseball, I'm the optimizer and, and the tools on RotoWire are op- obviously doing something right for me. They are, my friend, and I hope you keep it up. But I want to get in the winner's circle with you too. Uh, and over two and a half million players have, in fact, got into the winner's circle, winning cash prizes, playing on FanDuel. We urge you to join them. So take advantage of our special offer for new users. Sign up today at FanDuel.com/rw. Of course, these contests are void where prohibited. AJ, I'm in a downer mood today. I don't want to slag on anybody in the rant of the week, and I don't feel good <laughs> enough to come for the stud of the week, so we're going to waive that. But we're going to celebrate the fact that we're coming to the end of another season where you and I have had a lot of fun talking hockey all year long. And you picked me up off the mat today, i got to tell you, with the way I was <laughs> feeling about uh, things in the hockey circles after last night's game. So uh, kudos to you for that. And uh, we'll look forward to the next episode of podcast, and we urge our listeners to, to stay tuned for that. But uh, have you got any thoughts before we do sign off? Yeah, I just want to thank all of our listeners out there for tuning into the show, sticking with us all season long. I know uh, a handful of you know guys probably drop off once their fantasy seasons are over. So those of you that are still listening, still tuning in at this point, uh, love to have you uh, hanging with us. As Paul said, we'll probably tune back in after the second round series here, uh, give you a preview of the, the conference finals. 
And I think we'll probably make a pick of our Stanley Cup finals at that point. Um, but you all know who I'm going to pick. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm picking Pence for the three-peat. I'll just say it now. Um, but, you know, we'll go from there. And uh, just saying thanks again for everybody for listening. And for those who can't see, he's got the playoff beard going in fine style. It's, he's growing it out a little bit here, looking almost like a Brent Burns. So good on <laughs> you, my friend. That wraps up uh, this week's podcast with Statsman and AJ. Remember to send your comments and questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman. Man 22. You can follow AJ at AJ Scholes 24. We hope you enjoyed this show and circle back to get more roster updates, injury news, and other topical news from around the NHL when we get back together again after the second round. So thanks very much. Uh, you'll get the latest news and our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy contest as always. So long, everybody. 